Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 444 of the Juice Box Podcast. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Today's episode is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. You can find out more about Arden's meter at contournext.com forward slash juice box. And don't forget about Touched by Type 1. Learn more about them at touchedbytype1.org or on Instagram or Facebook. Today's show is with Jeff. He's a type 1 who was diagnosed at a younger age and then had a number of life issues pop up. A lot of them, actually. He does a great job of taking us through them and sharing his emotions. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. As you're listening around the podcast, don't forget to check out the Defining Diabetes episodes and those Diabetes Pro Tip episodes. You can find them both right here in your podcast player or at diabetesprotip.com. And of course, everything's available at juiceboxpodcast.com. My name's Jeff Flaxman. I'm 34 years old. I've been type 1 diabetic since I was 12. If I was better at math, I'd tell you the year, but I got to think back through. But I was in sixth grade when it happened around Easter and been managing it since pretty much by myself. Wow. Yeah, and we'll dig into that in a second. But I have to let you know that every time I see your name pop up on my calendar, the Beatles song Taxman runs through my head. So I'm glad. Oh. You, I'm glad you said your last name. Yeah, that name, makes so sense. I can tell you that. Every it's a time. fun last name. I just hear the very, like, I'm the tax man. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, that's going to fill my head up now for the next 20 minutes. Um, so I'm glad to get this one out of the way so that I can uh, I move yeah, on. Yeah, we can cross that off your list then. Hey, move to a different Beatles song. Um, anyway, so let's, so you have quite a story, Jeff. I yeah, I've, I've had some ups and downs. Yeah. Where, where are you now? Just so that as we get 20 minutes into this, people aren't, you know starting a GoFundMe for you or something like that. Things are Oh, no, no, no. Things are fantastic now. I'm married. My wife, we've been together since 2011, so nine years. I've got a five-year-old daughter, two-year-old son, both of which are not diagnosed as of this time with type 1, but it's always in the back of my mind. Uh, Working successfully, I think. I teach middle school in the middle of a pandemic, so it's a lot of fun. Okay. All right, good. Well, I just wanted to do, you know... I'm not, I don't want, I don't want, by the time we're to the third part of your story, I don't want everybody to be like, oh my, this poor guy. So you're good. So, but you still have oh, quite, yeah. quite a tale. Um, all right. So let's start again. You were diagnosed in, did you say sixth grade? Sixth grade. It was April of, God, 12, 34, sometime in the late 90s. Sometime in the late 90s. Excellent. You're in sixth grade. I'm mm-hmm. going to do my 
my thinking on that and say that most people are five in kindergarten and then six right. plus five is 11. So I'm going to put you around 11 years old. Okay. All right. Seem fair. No, I was 12 because after my birthday in yeah. sixth grade. 12. Perfect. All right. Okay, everybody. So Jeff's going along, living his life. Happy birthday. They sing the song. They eat the cake. Uh, he gets the diabetes. Do you remember much about <laughs> the, um, but not what you wish for when you blow out the candles, I imagine. No, no, not a bit. No, it was uh, near Easter. And I remember distinctly because my brother always reminds me of it because my diagnosis fell just before his 15th birthday. So he lets me know I ruined his 15th birthday party by being in the hospital. He couldn't have his friends over, couldn't have his party because of me. Yeah. It's nice to have a brother, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's a great guy. I do. I love him very much, but that's just our relationship. But uh, the diagnosis came on. I had started wrestling at that time, which is a pretty demanding physical sport. And after the season ended, I just kind of crashed, like lethargic, couldn't do much, constantly tired, and just had one of those. It was like a week long, what I thought was the flu, what my mom thought was the flu at that time. So it was just, you know, you stay in the couch, you feel awful, miserable, can't get up, can't do anything. But I had to go to the bathroom a lot because, you know, the diabetes. And then at one point it just got, I guess I was probably close to DKA. I don't remember. And I just remember my mom saying, that's it. We're going to the hospital. Let's go. Well, that's scary for parents. It really, you know, now you have kids. You can really imagine if your kid was just lethargic and lying around, you know, how long before you just were like, oh, geez, this is. This is something horrible. terrifying. I don't know. I mean, when my youngest was like three months old, he hit one of those fevers above the doctor level. So we had to take him to the ER at two in the morning. And that was a horrifying six hours. I couldn't imagine what this would be for my parents. Yeah. Yeah. The first time your kid gets a high fever, you start imagining their heads soft boiling inside of their skulls. And you're. Oh, yeah. I mean, worst case scenario instantly is where the head goes. Yeah. it's, It's interesting how you're, you know. You jumped to the worst conclusion. Well, luckily your mom jumped to that conclusion and got you to the hospital. Yeah, we got there. And it was, I remember that, I mean, a wave of doctors swarming around me and probably within the first minute of being there, I heard him say diabetes. Hmm. And, and maybe 10 minutes after that, I was in an ambulance going to a major hospital where I'm at, which I didn't mention. It's the Chicagoland area. So Lutheran General is where I was fully diagnosed. Gotcha. Okay. Um, do you remember much about the early days of having type one for you and what that meant as far as how you managed and, you know, yeah, because I was older at 12, I have a very distinct memory of all of it. It was at that time there was NPH and R insulin is what I was on. Mm -hmm. Take the, the long acting in the morning. And then I had like a sliding scale throughout the day, depending on what I tested at of what I would do before each meal, not each meal. I think it was just breakfast and dinner maybe each meal, one of the two. And you'd take that amount. And that week in the hospital, I didn't really get it at first, what it meant until I had an older, I'm guessing he was an endocrinologist came in and just had one of those sit down, come to Jesus conversations with me at 12. And I distinctly recall, he's like, well, this disease basically cuts your lifespan in half. If you take care of yourself, you can make it a little longer. If you don't pay attention right now, you'll be dead before 40. And it was, oh, okay. Wasn't time to live. So he wasn't dressed like a clown or anything like that. He, uh, he, he wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. The uh, Patch he, Adams wasn't there that day. He wasn't going for upbeat. He called him sick. Well, so interesting. He, he went for, I'll shock you into it, which I've heard from a lot of people's not 
uh, a valuable ma- management tool from doctors, but how did it work on you? Maybe it worked perfectly on you. Uh, it worked really well. That honeymoon period, the first few months of having it, I was awesome at it. Like numbers were always good, constantly testing, writing it down in this little journal of what we need to have there. And I remember at that time, we didn't go to an endocrinologist. My family doctor took over managing my diabetes care and they did a great job. We knew all the people there pretty close. But looking back on it, I want to ask my parents, what the heck were you thinking? Why didn't we go to a real endocrinologist for this stuff, for how serious it was? But at 12, I didn't know the difference. Sure. But that first A1C came back in the low fives that I had during that honeymoon period to where they're like, oh, he's so good at this. This is great. Forget testing twice a day. You can probably test three times every two days and you'll be good. And so that was it. So back then, that was the level of knowledge. And also, I guess you're not in an endo's office, right? So yeah. um, yeah. So I think there was a little delay there for it, but I didn't really have serious lows or serious highs. I mean, it would roller coaster constantly. And now that I have a CGM and I'm using that, I, I can't imagine what was going on in the in-between times. Mm. There'd be sometimes it'd be 36 hours without a check. So you were basically honeymooning, which we all kind of now understand is just a time yes. where your pancreas is just working for a while off and on, like sputtering to its, to its end. And yeah, until that organ became useless. Right. And, and the, by the way, for the people listening who know that the pancreas still does some things after it doesn't make insulin anymore, I know we all know just I know that, but I only look at it through the diabetes. Yeah, lines. yeah, useless for diabetes. Let's call it that. Uh, useless for insulin. So, um, but I'm just fascinated by that—the idea that they didn't understand that this was going to, you know, get worse at some point, you know, and your pancreas mm-hmm. was not going to be helping anymore, and so they tell you the exact wrong thing, which is. You don't even have to look that often, just maybe a couple of times every three days when really what you should have been doing is looking more frequently. So right. When this happened, you could be on top of it. It was there. Were, I was being talked to like I was a type two at that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's Probably really they knew most being a family practice. Late 90s doesn't seem like that long ago to me. It but, doesn't feel that long either, but I'm 34 now. And 12. <laughs> Jeff's like, it is that long ago. I'm halfway to Gosh. old. I feel it. Some days, not really. No, no, no. There's once in a while I get up in the morning and my heel and my ankle hurt. And I think, how did that happen? (laughs) I I can't place this, this bruise. This so I don't know where it came from. I wasn't running yesterday or anything like that. Like, you know, I didn't jump off of something. I didn't kick anything. It's just doesn't seem right. But no, I mean, I hear you. I'm just saying that I guess even for me, as somebody who talks to people a lot about this, if you tell me late nineties, there's going to be somebody who diagnoses you in a hospital, doesn't insist that you go to an endocrinologist, sends you to a GP who doesn't appear to understand diabetes really at all. I just, that feels like it would be an older problem, but I'm assuming that stuff's still happening and we just don't think of it that way. I mean, it, it probably does in some places where it's still there. Yeah. That's medical terrible. care is not exactly consistent across the 50 states. Mm, no kidding. Okay, so there you go. Weird. Do you do you then slip into this idea of we'll just look every once in a while and then what happens there? Yeah, I mean, that's what it became. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's okay. So at that point, I'm probably four or five months in, I start, I'm still testing those times a day, but I stop writing them down because I'm a kid, I'm 12, and I'm not taking the time to do that. Yeah. So I just stopped. 
And I mean, the, the weird thing, we'll get to it, but my parents being divorced were not on the same page with that. And they took a very hands-off approach and like, well, he's got it. The doctor says his numbers are good, so he can handle it. And yeah. I, I did. And and they didn't know anybody else with type 1 diabetes, so there's nothing to compare it to, right? Right. They had no idea. They heard what they heard from the general practitioner, and he said things are doing well. He's taking care of himself. We're not concerned. And so that's that. So they just, my mom, dad, are like, well, he seems to have it under control. They had an idea of what was going on, but mealtimes, I would do the sliding scale correction. I would give all my injections since the day I was diagnosed. They never did those for me. It's just... That's how it worked. Were they checking an A1C? Um, the general practitioner did, but I, I couldn't tell you what the numbers were after that first one. I just know the first one was really low, and then it might have been every six months they'd check an A1C after that. But you don't recall anyone saying to you, hey, this is getting out of hand? or I don't think they ever did. I mean, there were times I might have gotten to low eights type area throughout those young junior high and early high school years. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. The story gets more complex and then A1C testing stops eventually. We'll get to that. Though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just think that I'm trying to, I don't know, obviously, but the ADA sets standards for A1C and mm-hmm. doctors who know and doctors who don't know are, are probably following that. They probably just look at that test and go, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like you, you and I now think of A1C, you know, as one of the one of the measurements we use to try to figure out if we're doing a reasonable job managing. Yeah, it's a a decent benchmark nowadays. Right, right. But, but the, I guess my point is, is that it's making me think about like your story is making me think about Arden being diagnosed with hypothyroidism, where there's this range that it says is normal. And I don't know if people understand where normal range comes from for like, you know, your thyroid test, for instance, but it's just a, most people tested, fall between here and here and that makes this the range so if your number falls in that range many doctors will just look and say oh you know the range is i don't know five to ten you're an eight you're good that's it just you know that that's how it works when when they don't have a real drill down understanding of what they're looking at they're just really looking at a number from a test and a number on a chart and you fall into that number and i'm wondering how much of that didn't happen to you and doesn't still happen to people where maybe back then the ada had a1c set at eight or i don't know where it was i i couldn't tell you what it was but seeing eights in there like sometimes you would say well you seem to be going a little higher and maybe you should check your blood two hours after you ate a meal that was it like like That's A1C it. looks a little higher. Let's test a little more frequently. The like end you of want it to be about one fifty to one eighty after a meal. And my thirteen year old stupid kid brain there is like, yeah, okay, I'll do that every third day, maybe. <laughs> we'll make that a Thursday thing. Um, and yeah. no, no, I hear so. Okay, just you know, in perspective, like that's it. Now I I don't even know where the you know the quote unquote like the. Uh, recommended a1c is is it seven now or something like that i'm not even sure i i couldn't tell you i'd imagine seven i mean my endocrinologist now who i have a good relationship with i'm in the low sixes running there and he seems pleased with what's going on and i'm happy of course i'd like to do better but i'll I'll take a low six okay yeah i'm googling right now i got 2018 here um this is actually diabetes.org. So this is the ADA. 
oh, they're just giving you the, if your A1C has been between 5.7 and 6.5, this is probably for type two people. You're pre-diabetic. If you have A1C of 6.5 or higher, you are diabetic. Healthline has from 2018, for years, the American Diabetes Association has recommended that all people with diabetes aim for a target A1C below 7%, even more stringent. Uh, they're now recommending below. So in 2018, they started recommending below 6.5. Uh, but oh. for a while, it was seven. I wonder what it was prior. I guess maybe the internet doesn't go back quite far enough on this one for me. Uh, but okay. they there somewhere, but I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Heard to a point where there was serious concern. Right, right, right. No, I hear you. Okay, so you're chugging along. This is basically how you're living your life with with diabetes. Yeah, I mean, I was carb counting didn't exist then, or at least not where I was trained. So I was on an exchange diet. So starch, protein, fat, and I was very, and still am to this day, very regimented in what I would eat, where I would have the exact same breakfast every day for like two years straight and never change it. Did you ever like hate that? Or was it just the thing you did? I think I did it first, but it got to a point where it just became so ingrained in me even now I'll make my lunch for school. It would be the exact same lunch every single day. I mean, breakfast today was the same as it was the past 20 days. English muffin with peanut butter and coffee. And that's just what I go. Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages two and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. Everyone deserves an accurate blood glucose meter, and not everyone's meter is as accurate as you would hope. I'd like you to check out the Contour Next One blood glucose meter because it is, well, geez, what do I want to say here? It is the most accurate, easy to use, and easy to transport meter that Arden has ever had. On top of all that, it's inexpensive, and it may even be affordable if you don't have insurance. Check it out at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Some of the highlights of this meter are second chance testing, meaning you can go in for blood, get a little but not get enough, go get more without ruining the accuracy of the test. We're wasting a test trip. And of course, it's got a super bright light for nighttime. It has an easy to read screen, and there's even an app to link to the meter if you want to use it. If you don't, you can just use the meter without it, but if you do, you pick up some extra bonus features. They have a test strip savings plan, and you may even be eligible for a free meter. You'll be able to find out all about that and whether or not you're eligible at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. There's links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com if you can't remember that URL. While you're out on the internet, check out Touched by Type 1. They're at touchedbytype1.org on Facebook and Instagram.
I, I so would love to rerun your life in an alternate reality and see if that's how you, <laughs> if you just love eating like that or if it, it it's just from the diabetes because I do know people like that. I've worked with people who every day they eat the same exact thing, and I'm just like, it's fascinating. It's not that I love it; it's just that's that's normal to me. Yeah, that's what I did my childhood, and the only places it changes is dinner time because those are more robust meals in our family. And even as a child, it was gotcha. Then I would always have highs or lows after dinner because the meal was never consistent. The slide it never fit. Right, right. So, what would you consider to be the first? I, I'm looking for the right word. I don't want to say tragedy, but maybe tragedy is the right <laughs> what, 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 what was? Well, the, let's start going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. What was the first um, major hiccup? I guess in your life. All right. So we'll backtrack a little bit there. So. Uh, sixth grade, I get diagnosed. We go all the way back to second grade in school. So four years earlier, my parents split up, separated, Mm -hmm. which in it's the mid nineties. That wasn't that uncommon at that time. Lots of kids had it. And I think in no disrespect at all, but the best way to describe my mother was a sometimes functional alcoholic, I think is the best way to say it. Okay. So meaning that sometimes she was blackout drunk yeah sometimes she was out of it and in second grade i i was well aware of what was going on at that time i I know my dad would kind of hint and ask how's mom today and we'd say oh it's a good day it's a rough day type thing (laughs) i have to tell you jeff there were other girls but this is the one i fell in love with (laughs) sorry buddy um (laughs) yeah i mean i never got that into it my dad was trying the whole custody battle for it but again it's the mid to early 90s dads mm. don't win custody battles very often right it just it wasn't gonna happen he was probably a more qualified parent looking back at it can i can i ask you real quick how involved were you in the drinking like did she did you were you pouring drinks or bringing mommy i was never one? she she always tried to mask it and hide it. okay my brother and I, my brother's older we always knew, like we were well aware. And there were times as I got older, it got pretty confrontational where I would find her bottle of wine and just dump it in the sink and it'd be a fight. And I'm an 11 year old kid doing this. Yeah. Like I'm not dealing with this today. And that really is how it felt. Like if I get rid of this wine today, it'll be easier. Yeah. Today will be easier. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a constant, but by no means was she a bad mother. I mean, we still had food on our played every dinner. We were still taken care of and well. We weren't rich by any means, but we weren't poor. Either. But she was struggling with alcoholism, like very much mightily. Other yeah. substances too. She she liked to uh, she smoked quite a bit. She smoked. But that was the least of her work. I, I just have to ask you, um yeah, uh, maybe I don't maybe you made it clear just you're just talking about weed, right? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah okay. All right. So I Jeff- mean I it was explained to me. Oh shoot, this will air. That's fine though. <laughs> It was African violets we had growing in our backyard sometimes. Oh, is that how it was told to you? Yeah, that's what it was. And it's like, yeah, okay. I'm sure that's what it is. I have one on my windowsill in my kitchen now. I hope my kids don't one day believe that I was <laughs> just running a small trap. Don't let room. them listen to this. They might get confused about oh my that. God, if my kids end up listening to this, I'm dead and they just miss me. Uh, oh. So- <laughs> Oh, that hits. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my no, god. It's okay. I'm pretty scarred to this and numb now, but that's fine. No, Jeff, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean <laughs> not thinking. Okay. All right. All right let's. Uh... No. So the divorce was probably the early one, and okay. that that was rough to deal with. But I had gotten used to it. Like I, I just grew to accept that's what it is. Every other weekend and Wednesdays are with my dad. Other days I'm with my mom. We live in the same town. It's constant. Like those two, it's those the type of divorce where you didn't want to be in the same room as the two of them. Yeah. 
my parents had co-parenting as you'd say today right no my parents had one of those and i felt like it it was really difficult on me for a, a, a large number of years and it, oh, it's it's, tough. yeah it didn't it just it doesn't just go away whenever you know everybody settles into their new life it wasn't it definitely wasn't like that i think i've told people yeah. before here like i used to wake up in the middle of the night and stare out a window on the second floor and every time a car would drive by uh and the lights would appear before the car would appear, I would let myself believe that was my dad coming home so I could feel better for a couple of seconds before Ugh. the car before the car would drive past the house. And That's then rough. back to like, you know, horror. Then that would lend me uh downstairs to uh dig into the back of a coat closet to pull out a family portrait that my mom hid. And I would just stare at it for a little while till I felt better and go to bed. And Jesus. yeah, I was only like maybe thirteen then. Uh so that was, you know, I, I don't think people understand what what they mean when they say we're gonna get divorced it'll be better for the kids actually what would be better for the kids if you stop yelling at each other and you the, just figured it out yeah, for crying out loud be a lot better together fun. here i think that would be better for <laughs> the kids. together wait till wondering. i'm 18 yeah. yeah get me out of here and then do your thing whatever you're gonna do you've been in it this long <laughs> so yeah. but anyway um, but yeah. Diff- the divorce difficult. was the constant that happened we knew it was there my dad had a constant battle to try and win custody and it's just it wasn't in the cards for right. whatever reason. Maybe my mom had a better lawyer. I don't really know. I was too young to understand it. Sure. That kind of kept us out of it. It just never happened. And and you were about how old while this is going on? Just because I'm trying to move. So second grade, I think you're eight. Okay, seven, nine, somewhere in that range. And so, all the way up. and so your dad kind of gives up on the custody thing at some point in that eight nine year range when oh no he never gave up oh no kidding no kidding it was a constant constant fight like eventually it got to the point where he'd get a whole week a month on top of all that or half the summer he got more and more visitation and stuff and would keep fighting for it but never never got the the overall win wow he really was trying that's great oh yeah yeah good for him well it's that's lovely actually um okay so we're gonna move forward yeah we're gonna we're gonna call divorce tragedy one i think we're gonna call diabetes tragedy two um yeah third uh well we move forward to eighth grade i'm pretty well managed by now things are going well my dad started the online dating world in you know aol if you remember that you go to your message board so he was a single parent message board and found a bunch of girls started talking to him instant messaging before there was e online dating e harmony he found some a girlfriend that way wow he Which was great. Yeah, so I'm saying he was the industrial. She had four boys of her own. And then they were end of eighth grade year. They bought a house. They were going to move in together. Me and my brother, our four stepbrothers, all of us were going to be together for a while. Were you going to move in like full time or no? That just, just allowed. Yeah. So just the time that he had you for. Okay. Yes. Um, well, it makes it messy. My brother who was 17 could have moved in the full time. He could have gone to court and said, I'm done with you, mom. I'm leaving. But he didn't. Was he staying behind for you? Or did he ever think did you guys ever talk about it? Uh, we did. And eventually we'll see. He made the choice to leave. Yeah. I, it's hard not to, I would think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and May, April, May of that eighth grade year before graduation, my dad gets diagnosed with lung cancer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I guess let's just hit the, was it a, a shock to him or, you know, was he a smoker and was like, oh, it, came, oh, it got heavy, me. heavy smoker, work construction. So you've got both of those working against him. Right. How it old, just, 
all of us were caught off guard by it. No kidding. How old was he around that? 47. Time? 47. Okay. So a young man ends up with lung cancer double, or do you remember? It was one, but it was stage three at the time, I think, four. So how does he talk to you about that? Um, Just kind of sat us down and told us. He's like, look, this is it. I'm going to do the chemo. We're going to move through it. And we were optimistic. Yeah. How much understanding did you have that it might not end well for him? Um, about a month and a half in, we figured it out. Could you just see him declining? Oh, it was it was quick. Yeah. Got diagnosed, and then three months later, end of summer, he passed. Okay. Ah, uh, all right. So, how does that? Well, I mean, I guess I'm. It's hard. I'm. I'm running through it in my head. I guess the the biggest impact to you, besides your dad being gone, which is obviously the largest impact, is that you're now with your mom full time, and there's nowhere to go, right? Or does the or does you, did your dad ever get married to the woman that he was living? He with? did. He got married to my stepmom, and she stayed. Okay. So, did you continue to see her? Well, the court said we couldn't, but I just did it anyways. Were you like living close enough to each other that you could make your way? It was in the same district, so it would be from school. So I went to high school. Uh, some days I'd tell my mom, I'm staying at my stepmom's tonight. And I'd stay there. And then the next day I'd take the bus back home to my mom's house and go back and forth. It was freshman year. Did your mom fight you on that? Or do you think it was like it gave her the night off? She loose functioning she had lost a lot more control of the disease by then for herself okay all right she was slipping further and further down how is all this impacting your your type one care like i'm trying to imagine you fitting that into all of that chaos it was rough like i i mean i still because i was so regimented i still followed i i eat this at this time i do this testing i stopped testing as much i had one kind of scary low spell i remember that my brother woke me up out of and then here drink this orange juicy moron you'll be fine that i mean besides that one low it was i'm not going to say it was well managed but to my knowledge at the time it was well managed. so you're to your expectations so was yeah, was that good the, way to put it was that really the focus that don't get dizzy don't pass out and you're doing well yeah, I mean, I could tell when it was really, really high blood sugar because the, the urination and everything, which now I realize, oh, that's just because ketones were spilling over and I, my liver is slowly killing myself right mm-hmm. now. So you didn't correct in it. those situations, though, right? You just knew your blood sugar. Was no, high. the idea of a corrective bolus just didn't cross my mind. And I say bolus, but that then it wasn't a bolus didn't cross my mind. Like if I was high and like, all right, so I take a little more on the sliding scale and I'll check again in the morning and I wait it out. That so, was it. So it's it's next time I'll be a little more aggressive because I can because I'm peeing a lot right now and I know I'm high. Yeah, so I know I need to take more at the next meal. I'll bump up that sliding scale. And I think, gosh, by that time I wasn't NPH and R. I don't know if you know they had that like 70-30 blend mm-hmm. or is like the mix. And I was taking that one at that time through a pen, which was much more convenient. Wow. It's so interesting that your experience with diabetes mirrors my friend Mike's so specifically i'm i'm always going to be sorry that i didn't get him on here to talk about it but um he passed away last year oh um, i'm terribly sorry but, Scott. no no i thank you um uh but he he his experience is just so like it 
it makes me feel like this was just the time with diabetes and this is just how it was done. And, and I mean, I, I know there was better because I know pump technology was starting to come out. I mean, this is my dad passed in 2000. Mm-hmm. So the early stages, I mean, they've been there for a while, but they're starting to become more and more mainstream at that time. Okay. But, but nobody's never, talking never to you about it. Yeah. 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 There's... It just wasn't even brought up. That idea wasn't there. Like I had heard about it in the magazine. I'm like, that's stupid. I don't want to be a robot. Yeah. So I said no. Okay. All right. <sighs> okay. All right, Jeff, yeah, let me wrap my head around this for a second. It's early in the morning. <laughs> Jeez. Sometimes I do these more midday and I'm a little more awake. Uh, I'm not not awake right now, but it's, um, you know, this is the part in the show where, you know, like a secondary character comes in and has like a happy moment so that we all don't <laughs> look for we'll a window there. to jump out of while we're listening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sorry about your father. Your father passes away. Um, mm-hmm. from lung cancer sounds quick and, and not that this matters, but Mike's dad passed away from cancer around the same time. Very quickly. Jesus. I'm just now realizing that I met my wife in probably around 94 ish. And she mm-hmm. was still in college. And I remember being, I was visiting her. She went to college about an hour and a half away. And I think everyone knows what I mean when I say I was visiting Kelly at college. So I was visiting Kelly at college. Yeah, you guys were playing charades. Like yeah, well, right. Yeah, we would just uh, go fish a lot of times and, uh-huh. then, and then write to charades. And then I would go home. <clears throat> um, and Mike called and said, <clears throat> excuse me, my dad has cancer. He thought he had a hernia. Um, so he went to the doctor. And I remember Mike going, and he did have a hernia. And I was like, okay, he goes, but he also had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he went from like this big, robust guy uh, to just, I mean, he shrunk to, he shrunk away and died in in two months, you know? Um, And yeah, it was, it was really something. And uh, Mike's mom passed away a number of years later from cancer as well. Uh, But anyway, um, I remember driving feverishly home through like a state and a half to get to Mike to talk to him. And um, it had to have been, like just a couple of years before you were experiencing this, at a, but at a younger age, uh, Mike and I were, we were in our early twenties at that point. Anyway. Um, okay. So you're trying your best to stay with your stepmother as much as you can. Your mom yeah, is I mean, declining. It's, it's a rough mix because at that time, my brother was a senior in high school and he just moved out of my mom's house. He never went back. Okay. And for all the reasons they, we're all imagining. Yeah, so he and I talked a lot, and we communicate. We both did the same sports in school on the same teams, but he just said, I'm not going back there, and I had to. Yeah, was there ever any conversation of, like, I I wish you could come with me? Or Not really. We didn't. We kept our emotions to ourselves. Gotcha. Um, Not that this matters, but where does a senior in high school go to live when he leaves his house? Uh, Well, he lived with my stepmom. He did, oh, he actually went there and she, yeah, okay, he I, just stayed there. We all had rooms there. He just stayed and never left. And my mom was too far down that alcohol pipe. She couldn't fight it. Gotcha. I understand. Um, what's it like living at home with your mom by yourself? Um, it was hectic. Like, that's the best way to say it. It was rough. I 
we had gotten to a point where we understood each other pretty well. We still would joke and have fun. And I just knew like, well, you're drinking. So I'm going to play video games or hang out with my friends or do my own thing. I'll wake up when I need to catch the bus by myself. I, I had it figured out by then. I'll, and I'll get older one day and I'll leave like my brother did. Right. And like, and eventually I'll just get older and that'll be the end of it. I see. Um, was she working? Yes. Trying to imagine how you're getting your medication. Like a, stuff a like blueprint that. company. She worked in ran blueprints at a print art supply store. I see. Okay. So enough that she could pay for your insulin and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, my father's carpenter union, like insurance kept, and then the, all that pension stuff. So money was there for my brother. And okay. Okay. Uh, were you in charge of going like, making doctor's appointments and getting your medications and things like that? No, that again, that's the functional part. She still kept all that together. Okay. So she's trying. I mean, I yes. guess for people who don't under, like don't see alcoholism as a, as a disease would probably be like, what, well, you know, how could you do this? But she's in her lucid moments doing her best to take care of what she thinks of as your most pressing needs. Correct. Gotcha. Wow. That's really kind of pretty uh and beautiful you know in a strange strange way yeah uh, in a weird way but it is yeah yeah now i mean you know what i mean like it's just i mean imagine imagine having a couple of minutes of 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 lucidness uh you know in a day and when that happens your your responsibility kicks in you say i you know i have to get jeff mm-hmm. his insulin and stuff like that that's really um it's a it's a it's an interesting look into into um what it feels like to have a kid, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, even when you're struggling, because you, you know, it's it, it really is interesting, right? If your mom had some sort of a, de- a debilitating um, uh, cancer that wasn't going to kill her, for example, and she only had right. a, a couple hours a day where she could function, n- no one listening would think, "Oh, how could she do that?" They they'd be like, yeah. "Wow, what a what a hero," you know. Well, and they relate to the alcohol. That's the stigma connected to the disease. Right, right, yeah. Oh, that's something. Okay. Um, all right, Jeff, let's not uh, – Let's not. how much longer does your mom last? Well, about a year. Okay. And then she gets into a pedestrian accident crossing the road, gets hit by a car. Well, I wasn't expecting that, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Wow, I'm sorry. Uh, I, You know, I just felt like we were building to – you know, uh, something else. My God. You no, were, it was quick. Were you with, you weren't with her, were you? No, no, no. I was at home and she went out and didn't. My God. Now you're by yourself. How old? Um, shoot. Let me think here. That's sophomore. I would have been 15 then. Are you okay? By the way, while we're talking, it's coming and going. Yeah. I'll be all right. Okay. All right. Just listen for everybody else. This was Jeff's idea. Okay, he reached out to me. I'm not torturing him. He wanted to be on the podcast. No, no, no. (laughs) I did this to myself. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, you know. Oh, my God. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, so who handles a funeral when there's a 15-year-old at home and a senior in high school who's not living at home? Like, is it family? Does family come in? My aunt. Yeah, family came in. When that happens, is there any noise from your sister? Like, I'm going to take care of you now from her sister about like, who, like, was there a will? Like, who were you left to? Well, that was the elephant in the room. That was the weird thing. I was at the hospital because the police came, brought me there. And they asked, who can we call? So I knew we had family friends that were close. And I said, call them. Yeah. 
you really didn't even feel like you had anybody left, right? Yeah, jeez. It was that or my stepmother with the two. Okay. But my brain just didn't go to stepmom at that time. It went to my family friends. Gotcha. Okay. Um, were you in a home? Were you renting? No, it was a home my parents owned. Okay. Or not owned. The bank owned it, but we were there making payments. What happens to that house? Does it just get absorbed by the bank? Um, no, my aunt put together everything and sold it. She was able to. And that money goes to, I'm assuming, debt and then to you and your brother? Debt first, so most of it debt, and the rest was split between my brother and mine. Okay. Wow. Um, time, my brother's in college, so he can't afford a house or anything, and he's going through what a college freshman goes through, so he's got his own uh, hobbies, you'd call them now in school. All right. Well, not bad, but you know the college experience. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, there's, he's he's focused on other things. Um, and where do you go to live? That family I went home with that night. I just they took me in. Wow, that's them. Now, do you bounce around from there? Because, uh, you know, uh, no, I actually stay with them. I don't keep traveling back and forth to my stepmoms at that time. Okay, it was was your mom's death the end of your relationship with your stepmother like, no no i stay close with her she comes into the story again in a little bit well, don't worry okay jeez you really should write all this down by the way because this is at least <laughs> this is at least a season i've tried this is at least a season and a half of the friday night lights tv show for one of the characters so you could easily- yeah it's kind of there i can see it yeah no kidding. We just put a football game around this and some sad music, <laughs> and uh, I think we'd be okay. And some Texas twang and a guitar somewhere, and we're I good. I really feel like this would work. Uh, so, my goodness. Um, no, but, uh, a new family takes me in. Yeah. And they try to understand diabetes. They transition me to a new doctor. The benefit at this time, because I'm technically an orphan, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. I get free health care from the state at that time. Finally, something good happens. Okay. Program. Everything's covered. I don't pay a dime for anything ever. Does that lead you to when do you get to um, a more modern way of management? When do you start counting carbs and, and Oh God, not till after college. No kidding. Okay. All right. It's like 2000, 2008, 2009 when I start counting carbs and we're only in 2001 right now. So these next few years, are you living with this family who bring, who brought you in and finishing high school? Uh, I lived with them for a year. And then they had a family strife, a divorce there. And I just said, you know what? I don't need this again. And we agreed. I just moved in with my stepmom for the rest of high school there. And she took me in. Was that, was that traumatic to watch the family that took you in start experiencing the things where your life started to unwind years earlier? Not really. No. You I mean, weren't connected really, to I them think like I'd that. become numb to it by that. Okay. And so I, I have to ask you, at this point, are you doing anything to help yourself that um, I, I, I shouldn't have said help yourself, but are you, are you managing your pain anyway? Are you doing drugs? Are you drinking? Like, are you, how are you handling everything that's happening to you? None of it. I, I started working a part-time job at a local restaurant and just, I focused myself on work, on school, on sports. And that was my escape. Yeah. And that's just sort of your personality to this day. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, I drink now some, but I'm also 34, but I no, I never went and I guess to call that the amazing part, I just never saw that as an option. Gotcha. Um, wow. That's excellent. 
I, I doesn't that occur to me. My life's not been great at a lot of different junctures, and I don't. I, I'm never. I've never been into numbing myself ever, um, and I don't know. I'm not. Um, I'm not morally opposed to it, if you know what I mean. And I just it's yeah. It, it, and I just don't. And I never have. Like even I, I. I'll tell you right now. I'm. I turned 49 the other day. If I've had the equivalent of a case of beer in the last 30 years, I would say that's probably an over exaggeration. Oh, so well, good for you. I, and no, no, yeah, I just it just does not occur to me to do, and I don't. Yeah, at, at that time, at my age of 15, 16, 17, 18, up through high school, I never touched the stuff. Gotcha. Um, friends, were you were you just it was just friends and work and just yeah, friends, on your work, stuff. Uh, sports, some video games here and there, and taking I, care of your diabetes. Well, wasn't perfect in school, but maintained right behind GPA. Huh. Is this how, how do you, how do you decide that you want to be a teacher? When does that pop into your head? Um, throughout late high school, I had some good teachers there and I'm like, wow, these guys get it. They talk to me like I'm an adult and I, I think I could do this. Wow. Okay. And, and d- is it a conscious feeling of like, there are going to be other kids like me one day and they're going to need somebody like these people? Well, that's a lot of it. It's like, I can reach an audience of kids. Most teachers can't because they don't have a shared experience. Right. Are you still in the Chicago area? Uh, yeah, we're in the northwest suburbs there. So about, uh, I don't know, 40, 50 miles out of the city. Okay. All right. Uh, so you go to college for, uh, and you get go to college in Eastern Illinois. So down near U of I Champaign mm-hmm. and start as a history major. Cause I loved history, but early on I realized the heck am I going to do with a history degree? I mean, that's not really a, a applicable job skill. And I'm sorry to anyone who's listening, but I don't know what you do with a history degree besides become a professor or a teacher. So that's the route I went. Yeah. Yeah. I guess poetry maybe would be along there too. Yeah, possibly yeah. it's in there. <laughs> Although wouldn't it be nice to just pick something like that and just sort of lose just yourself. In study, it. look yeah. through historic documents, understand the past and make a living wage doing it. It right. would have been great, but it just wasn't feasible. Not how it works. Yeah. Uh, do you meet your wife in college? I do. We meet early on in high school, in college, freshman year. And hit it off pretty well, dated the whole time through and kind of ever since. So we've been together since 2004. How slowly do you disseminate your life story to someone when you meet them like this? Uh, You sprinkle it in. It's like a little bit of salt on a meal there. You don't want to dump it all at once because it ruins it, but you sprinkle it in here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Just you're six, eight months in and you're just like, oh, you know, like that time my dad got cancer. And then you just roll right past (laughs) it. And she's like, wait, what do you say? Um, You just drop a little bit. And I told her the the big parts of it there, parents deceased and all that, but kept the details out of it for a while. No kidding. I would make sure she was pretty locked down before I started telling her all this. Yeah, you don't want to scare him away too fast. That would have been bad. <laughs> I'm real- lucky she decided to stay with me anyways, so I, I got to keep that one safe. Without all this, you're saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, just my personality and kind of a, I don't budge. I'm stubborn and, you know, a standard guy thing, and she's a saint. Yeah, no, I know. I I, I always wonder when Kelly's going <laughs> to grow tired of all this and just be like, all right, that's enough, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, this was fun while it lasted. I, we've uh, had this conversation one too many times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, no, that's okay. So you guys meet in college. Um, and does she, I'm not looking for where she works, but does she have a similar path? Is she? A uh, yeah, she's a teacher also. She taught for a while. Um, she stays at home with the kids now. Before a second was born, she taught the elementary grade. So kindergarten and second. Teachers seem to fit together really well. 
We do. I and I say the one bonus of this this COVID time here, my daughter's starting kindergarten, and thank God my wife was a kindergarten teacher. Yeah, so she's just sort your 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 poor daughter is getting some one on one attention, huh? Yeah, she's a that poor girl's <laughs> not gonna be impacted too much by it. She won't she won't know anything. She's just like, I don't know, my mom just pulled out a bunch of papers and we started going. Uh, yeah, we emptied the crawl space and built a little classroom in our dining room the other day. That's really nice. Um Okay, so you're out of college now. Well, in college is in where college. it gets messy, too. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Something else is going to happen? <laughs> Go well, ahead. No, not bad, but uh, the insurance and stuff. This is where when I was less than 18 years old, the state covered everything. Okay. But as I turn 18, the state does not cover my medicine anymore. And you're in college. And I'm in college. And insulin prices aren't what they are now, but they were still expensive. Sure. Well, how so does- I tried the whole like school insurance. Can I get on yours? And like, well, you could, but there's not enough kids that are part of it. Your insulin would not be any cheaper here than it is retail at the store. What do you end up doing? Uh, I paid for it. So you were working while you were in school. I was a resident assistant for two years there. And then I stayed summers on campus to work there that whole time and just worked my way through. I see. I mean, luckily, I got a lot of grants because of my situation, having no parental income. So school was relatively covered by grants and all that mm-hmm. was able to skate by. All right. So I'm going to take a detour for a second and ask you sort of a bigger question. Sure. Um, I sometimes look back on my life. I was adopted like it, you know, in the, in the first days of my life, my parents uh, divorced when I was young, I became sort of my de facto father for my two younger brothers um, I watched my mom struggle. I got jobs in places where I, I didn't fit. Like I used to work in a sheet metal shop and I'm not a sheet metal worker, but I went and I did it, you know, for five years p- making mm-hmm. people listening now would be shocked by this. But I think I, I think I got that job at four twenty five an hour. And by the time I left it five years later, I believe I was making five seventy five an hour. So it was a, a real, uh, you know, a real money maker for me. Um, That's a good percentage growth, though, if you look at it that way. Oh yeah, if you look at it that way, I was really on my way to something. <laughs> Probably by the time I was sixty, I would have been making somewhere in the seven or eight dollar range. Uh, nice. Yeah, oh no, for sure. Uh, really hard work, tough extreme conditions. I didn't belong there. M- not meaning like I was too good for it or anything like that. Just I didn't have the skill set. I didn't grow up around people who worked with their hands. Um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that I was around, I was out, I was a fish out of water. Um, I left that I'm still on the hook to, you know, I used to tease my brothers. I was like, my kids are going to be great. Cause I've made every conceivable mistake with you guys. So, um, now I can, <laughs> I can look back and see what's going on. Anyway, there's a trial by fire nature to my life. And there certainly is to yours. Like you, your life actually makes my life seem like I was part of the Brady bunch. So, um, uh, I, how valuable do you think that is now as an adult with kids, the struggle? Uh, it's tough because I I want to raise them the way I know, but my experience is they're not shared by other people. Yeah. So what I think of is this is what you have to do. These are the essentials. Apparently, I guess I'm asking a lot of my kids at times, like, well, this is just what you have to do. There is no choice mm. type thing. It, it, so it's skewed, it obviously skewed your understanding of like family life and you're that's probably something you have to work through every day but what about you you personally like are you a tough person like could i just pick you up and take you to another country and drop you alone where you didn't speak the language you think you'd just be okay 
I'd probably survive. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I, I think I, I'd find a way to get through it. I mean, I, I, that's that, that hardened exterior, I guess, where I just, I, I can pretty much take about anything you're going to throw with. I usually tell people privately, like when the zombies come, you come find me. Cause we're getting through it. You, you, you know, like I'm not going yeah. down like that. Uh, and I, I, I have that sort of like when things go wrong, I don't think like I don't have a woe is me feeling ever. I'm always like, no, okay, no, that's gone. Yeah. How do I attack this? Where do I like where, where, you know, where's my in here? What can I make work? What am I going to have to do to get this right for me again? And I know that's not probably a completely healthy way to live, but I do think it came from how I, I grew up. I'm, I'm imagining you have it. Uh, a similar it's that i i think about it as a survival mode is what i go into i look at these are the things that absolutely i have to do have to get done and they will get done and i'm able to kind of ignore the rest do you have any abandonment issues like do you feel like your family's about to be taken from you constantly no i don't think so at all i mean the, i was very blessed with the people that took me in when they did yeah oh, so you have that coverage in your in your mind i just i i used to at the very beginning of my marriage i was very over aware that like I never wanted there to be a problem because to me it felt like a problem was going to just start me down this road that I watched my family go down and that didn't end up being the case obviously and I don't feel like that anymore <clears throat> but in the beginning I just didn't want anybody to fight ever I was like because if someone fights you know what's going to happen you're going to move out this is going to happen we're all going to be broke my kids are going to end up raising each other. Like you have that, like that horrible feeling of like, you know, like this is going to repeat itself. I don't feel like that anymore, but I did when I was younger. So I wasn't sure. I had that when I was younger, but now I, I guess I can see through that. And when my wife and I do have an argument, I'm like, look, this, this is not worth the time we're spending on it right now. There are so much bigger things. And I, I, I guess I'm able to move past it. I, I feel the same. Uh, I, I actually feel like, and I'm sure everyone does, but if I could just live a couple hundred years, I think I'd be really great by the time I was like 170. Like I really just get that figured out there. I really think I'm getting this figured out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just feel like I started in a hole, you, you know, and it took a while. Just to, a few feet behind everyone else. Yeah. Well, man, that's pretty generous, but I, yeah. Okay. A few feet. <laughs> so, so when do you guys get married? Uh, we get married in 2011, so that's, she graduated college in 08, I graduated in 09 because I took a victory lap there, I did so well the first four, I needed one more year. <laughs> I didn't leave enough of my money here with you people, let me, uh, let yeah, me exactly, hang but on. we got married in 2011, and that's when I was actually able to start looking at diabetes and saying, you know, this not going anywhere i've got the job thing figured out i've got i'm engaged i'm gonna be married i guess i should probably figure out this diabetes thing now okay and so and that in college this i and this is going to be awful to anyone in college to hear but i probably tested my blood sugar maybe 60 70 times throughout those five years maybe hmm. because test strips were expensive and i knew i needed the insulin i could probably make it without the test strips though Okay. So you just sort of eyeballed it, like based on the, the past, you're like, I'll, I should give myself about this much insulin here. And my blood yeah. sugar is probably, about I was still on the 70, 30 mix for most of that time there. So I'm like, well, I think we go here and goes there. Um, there were a few more of the dangerous lows and highs a few times there throughout all that. Cause that, that 70, 30 mix at a time, it would 
you like stack on yourself so much of the long acting and then it would all just dump at one time. How much of your diabetes was your girlfriend in college like aware of? Ah, God, even to this day, I haven't done a good job of teaching her what's going on. Like I was talking to her last night about this. She knew I had the, this coming up. Yeah. Like you realize I really don't know what you do with diabetes that much at all. It's interesting. No, I don't just so programmed to self care. Yeah. I don't find it to be uncommon for many people that I talk to. Honestly, it's, it is, it is either just one or the other. I, I, nobody's, no one's ever said anything in the middle. They're always just like, ah, it's on me. She doesn't really know. He doesn't really know. Or Mm -hmm. it's, or it's, oh no, we're in this together. And it seems to be more wrapped around the timing of when the person was diagnosed. So what, what care must've been like for them then versus now when you can share it with somebody and, and, uh, I think I'm just so used to dealing with it myself. I, I just continue to like, I'll tell her how the doctor's appointments go. And when, Hey, there's a low coming on here, the sensor's telling me, so I'm a, you're in charge of the kids for the next 20 minutes while I battle this monster here. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, where would you even begin for her to understand it? You know? Um, I have no idea, yeah, but right. I know I've got to do a better job and that's kind of my goal. Okay. So, so when you, when you move into what we would call more like modern care, um, mm-hmm. how long did it take you to figure it out? Um, well, Started a pump in 2011 and probably eight years, seven, eight years till 2018 about is when I really started buckling down and figuring things out here. So were you just sort of using the pump as a way to not have to inject? That's basically what it was from about 2011 all the way until 2017, 2018. It was, I, I had the education, but at that time I'm a hotshot, like 25 year old. I don't need to pay attention to what you're telling me. I've had this disease since I'm 12. What do you know? Yeah. Mr. Doctor guy. Yeah. That's, um, another common, um, message. which was detriment to myself. I was stupid to do that. No, but it's probably like, listen to the professionals. Yeah. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying it's a, it's a pretty common feeling after you've been living with it for a while to just feel like I don't want your help. Yeah. But I was uh, on the Medtronic pump system, and I still am today, which kind of makes me feel like a pariah being talked to by you and you Dexcom people there. But. <laughs> you know, Jeff, it's funny. I hear people say sometimes, like I'll see online, like I, I heard, saw somebody the other day say, oh, you should try his podcast, especially if you have an Omnipod and Dexcom. And I'm like, is it really any different if you have a Tandem and a Libre? Like, it, it's not. I, I don't have an allegiance to it. I, I know people probably laugh to hear that. It's what my daughter uses. I know it to be really good. It's what good. you know. I, it's just what I know. And Yeah, and I, I don't really take any offense to it. Your stuff is helpful. I mean, hearing a lot of that stuff, it resonated with me, and I was able to implement a lot of the steps there myself. I, thank you, Jeff. I, and, I, and I do have, like, you know, I have in the past, and I remain, I, I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't appreciate what I feel like I saw Medtronic doing around trying to close insurance coverage around just their pumps. And I thought that was pretty shitty and I didn't like it. So um, I said it out loud one time. You know what I mean? I, I get it. Yeah. Um, but I'm on that for, so 2011. Yeah. Sometime I eventually uh, like adapted in like 2013, 2014, around there. I got their first uh, CGM, which I think was the N-Light sensor is mm-hmm. the one Medtronic had then. But I didn't wear it. I didn't like it. Was the um was the sensor wire like I've heard people describe it as a harpoon? Was it as was it really bad? 
I don't think so. No. I mean, I, I'm kind of weird with my pain tolerance there where I wouldn't even use the inserter. I would just kind of find the spot and just stab myself with it. And, and it went, just push it through with a hammer if you have to. Or... Yeah. Like sometimes <laughs> it hurt a little bit, but I was able to do it and just got through. But uh, what made it really difficult is I coached wrestling in my teaching job where I was at. Okay. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the sport at all, but wrestling with this thing hanging off your body there didn't play well together at all. Hmm. So I'd try the sensor and then it would just get ripped out halfway through a practice. Yeah, I don't see how grappling would... I'd make a big scene about it, like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. And <laughs> yeah, I don't see how grappling and and then that sensor would be uh would work together that well. It, it didn't. It didn't go well at all. But I would wear it maybe one week every two months, because at that time the sensor only lasts I think three or four days is all that one would last before you'd have to change it again. Hey. Why do wrestlers' ears get big and weird? Uh, that's It's called cauliflower ear. So when they wrestle too much, they don't wear protective covering over their ears in practice. And really, the simplest term is the cartilage in the ear breaks and then recalcifies harder. Gotcha. So that's what's happening the whole time. So it breaks, recalcifies, then it breaks again, recalcifies until it turns into this closed thing that is gross looking. Then my second wrestling question is, how do I get ringworm from the mat? Why is that a thing? <laughs> These are the all I know about myself. Yeah. Um, because those mats are stored in usually a hot place, like when they're rolled up, it's an environment with a little bit of sweat that's on it and the close quarters. It's able to live inside that. Uh, I don't even know what the material is called, but it's able to live there. And then you get your face rubbed into it a couple of times. And... Yeah, back of your head, face. I mean, there's any number of things it could be. Gotcha. Okay, those. By the way, that's all I know about wrestling. That was the entirety of it right there. Um, well, and, you know, you're not alone in that. That's those are all pretty common things yes, that I could ask. The, the 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 only thing I could say from here is Jimmy uh, Superfly Snooker, and then I'm kind of I'm kind of done with wrestling. And then you're out. <laughs> yeah, that's what I know. Uh, <laughs> I do remember us all getting together to watch. Um, those like big wrestling pay-per-view events when I was, uh, we were kids, but I do also remember thinking, I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sports stuck with me. It was good. I was, I was good at it. And I just, I enjoy that. It teaches that independence and maybe it matches myself there. Like you're the only one out there against another person and as close as you can get to a fist fight. I have and to tell you, it's going to come out. Some of the toughest people I know wrestle. So it's not well, a, it, it's it's brutal it's killer yeah it's not it's not surprising to me that you did it actually but I, I coached that for a while but then my second child was born and i couldn't manage the schedule to coach and do that so in 2018 that was when i'm like well i'm not doing this anymore i don't have an excuse to not wear the sensor uh it, it's time i do this right and what what Maybe have things two been years like? old then i'm sorry say that. i'm sorry how old I'm 32 years old by then. I'm like, you know, I've had this for 20 years. Let's let's kick this in the tail. Gotcha. And what happened after you made the decision to pay more attention and and do this? You know, more. Well, I started way? like that. Seeing that sensor data was so eye opening at that time. It was like, holy cow, this is what's been going on between my testing times. Like, I ate breakfast, the normal breakfast there, and I'm feeling fine. I test before lunch. Numbers are good, but I didn't realize that. Like I just had some beeps going off here on mine that my breakfast shot up a little faster than it would because of the coffee and come down. I didn't know the roller coaster I was on. Yeah. What What's the first step when you realize what's happening? 
Uh, and first, it's that frustration, like, what the heck did I do wrong? Like, what, where did I mess up? I followed this. And then, it, I mean, you know it. You hear it all the time. It comes down to change the basal rates there, push them up here, slow them down there, carb a little extra there. And I think my whole life, I grew up with that fear of insulin is scary. That, I mean, that stuff can kill you. Yeah. So I was always hesitant to give myself too much. Yeah, well, we said it earlier, right? Don't get low, don't pass out, don't get dizzy. Yeah, I mean, that else. was my fear. Like, low is terrifying. High is going to kill me in the long run, but lows, lows are terrifying. I don't want those. What's that sentence mean to you? Like, it, it's going to kill me in the long run. Did, did you ever think it meant, you, you know, when you were 40? Or did you just think it meant it was just something you didn't? I don't think I, I never placed a timestamp on it, on when it would be. But I knew by probably... Gosh, by my late 20s, early 30s, I knew the higher my blood sugar was, the longer, the more long-term damage I was opening myself up. Got it. Yeah. I, I just think that cognitively, people don't delve too deeply into what that means when they make the trade from the, the when they feel like they're trading now for later. Um, yeah. You know, it's some people's later will be, you know, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll die when I'm 72 instead of when I'm 75, but not, not, you know, people don't think of it as, you know. I'm going to need laser surgery in my eyes when I'm 30. Like, yeah. like that's not, that's not how your brain wraps around it. I guess in the mm-hmm. time it's self-preservation. And I'm still, like my eyes, I'm still for the heck I put myself through there in high school and college, barely testing who knows what those numbers were. I mean, I didn't have an A1C check from the time I was 16 until I was like 22. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen because it wasn't in the cards. I didn't have insurance. I couldn't really go to a doctor. I was able to, my family doctor would renew prescriptions without seeing me because they knew I couldn't afford. Yeah. They were trying to help you, quote unquote. Yes. Yeah. And it, it was. It kept me alive. Sure. No. Hey, listen. I mean, I, I always think of that uh, that movie where the, the climber gets his arm pinned under the boulder and mm-hmm. after a couple of days cuts it off with a pen knife. And I I, I think of like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. you, you just make the best decision in that moment you can to just live for one more second. You know, like you're just. Correct. And that's how I think of. Sometimes how I think of a lot of your stories of um, diabetes and back in the day of people just like trying to get through today, this hour, this day. Yeah, you know? I'm going to I'm going to tackle today and tomorrow. I'll worry about tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a, a a real luxury of the technology that we can all sit around now and look at this data and think about, you know, look at it at a more micro level and then start to consider macro out over years based on, you know, mm-hmm. I can, I can keep this A1C like this forever if I want to now, like I know how to do yeah. that. Yeah. It's a, it's a luxury for certain. Um, but I was, I mean, by 2018, uh, two kids, I'm managing things a lot better. The lows aren't really ever happening. The highs before I'd see a 220 and say, eh, 220, I'll deal with it. But now once it gets above 150 on the sensor, I'm like, what are you doing? Stop it. And then I start attacking and correcting. That's excellent. I'm, I'm happy for you. What are your, what are your A1Cs like now? Um, low sevens for a while. And then probably a year ago now, I jumped to the 670G and I've been on their auto or auto mode there, the semi closed loop system since then. That bring you down more? Uh, we'd like to say that. Can we say that with any honesty? <laughs> uh, I can't. It, it has at this point. Uh, there is that frustration. I'm sure you're well aware of it. The whole FDA or whoever it is that doesn't let them set a lower target in there. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when I go through it and I notice my blood sugar is at 140, which isn't bad, but I see the arrows up. I know what's coming. 
And I try to get myself a bolus in that mode to autocorrect. And it's like, no, no, you're not above 150. You can't bolus right now. We'll take care of it in the, the algorithm there. Do you and have to get out of the loop somehow to do that then? I mean, I could exit the loop and then go back into it to fix it there. Um, I mean, that's the correct way to do it. But most of the time I will ghost bolus, which I know is a no-no, and I should slap myself in the wrist for that. Well, yeah, let me take care of it for you. There you yeah, go. it's like, I'm going to take care of it myself because you're not doing it fast enough. Right. I think you're just adapting the, I mean, you said it, the FDA set limits on on where they could have targets. And, you know, I think the one you're using is basically the first one out the door. So there's, it's yeah. Very and it's reasonable. only going to get better for all other companies from here. And I'll for continue. Sure. With it. Yeah. Good for you. No, I, I think do what you need to do. I was, I, I half thought you were going to say you injected a little insulin. I, I didn't really, I, it, I don't know why just pretending carbs went in didn't occur to me. I, I just, I think after talking to you for an hour, I was like, he probably just sticks some insulin in his leg real quick with a needle. <laughs> no, I, I have a box of needles here, but I haven't touched a needle system in a long time. Yeah. We have the same needles from Arden's diagnosis still. Like we use probably three a year, maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's just so foreign to me. Yeah. She, she was diagnosed so young. Yeah. And to be pumped that whole time, I mean, good for her. Yeah. It's very cool. It, it really is. Um, It, it just, it, it makes me happy to think that she and just all the other people who are coming online, you know, today and in the, in the, the recent past have access and at least the hope, you know, I know everybody can't afford it. And some people don't have insurance, obviously that that's helpful. And that is sickening, mm-hmm. but, um, but just that, that it exists and that people are talking about it differently. I just interviewed a, an 18 year old girl yesterday who was struggling. And she said she came in one day and her endo just said, look, I don't, I, I'm not getting through to you. I think you should go listen to this podcast. And wow. and her A one season the is 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 incredible now. It went down like two points. But the point is, is that like that the doctor didn't just for the rest of her life just let her A one C sit in the eights and go. I don't know. Like you and I don't jive together, so I guess this is your life. The doctor well, good for that doctor that though. Cool? It's good for her to have that doctor. I thought so too. Um, yeah, it was just really interesting the way it goes. All right, Jeff, listen. Did we miss anything? Did your did you? have five cats run away or <laughs> no, uh, no i mean I, I think that's the ups and downs there's probably some more in there but and yeah. we can the diabetes we don't need to go deep into the rabbit hole here yeah no no i i didn't it, it's tough at one point about halfway through I, I i heard your voice break and i was like oh, oh i i was breaking up a little bit there yeah. but i i got through it good for you uh it's uh, is it cathartic to talk about or just is it not something you think about much anymore I don't think about it, and I, I usually yeah, call it my fatal flaw there, but I like to keep emotions buried down deep where they belong. Gotcha, Jeff. Catholic Jeff, by any chance? <laughs> no, no, my wife is, so I've got a little scene next to my Oh, Catholic. okay. <laughs> she can teach you how to, uh, how to handle yeah, that. Yeah, she can teach me, and I, I, I go through the motions and nod my head. I understand. <laughs> that's great. Um, that's really excellent. You said you mentioned your, your two younger kids. The, uh, no signs of diabetes. Where do you stand on looking? Do you do trial net or do you just wait and see? Uh, no, I'm waiting for the symptoms. Yeah. I, I like that's what it, it covers there. I, I haven't bothered looking through the whole DNA genome there to see if it's in there, because if it is, it's going to hit them anyways. And if it's not, I think I'm cognizant enough to be aware when it's happening. I think that is a valid, um, stance on this i think they're i think everyone's stance on that is valid but i i don't have a way to argue with either 
the people who are like, I'm just going to let life unfold and I'll take care of it as it comes. Yeah, and if my daughter and son, they never have to deal with it, they can eat all the Reese's peanut butter cups they want, good for them. Would that be your go-to if you didn't have diabetes all the time? Would it be the peanut uh, butter joy. That uh, coconut is amazing. <laughs> Almond Joy. Almond Joy has nuts. Mounds don't. Is that right? I think that's the message. Yeah, you're not old enough to remember those um, those commercials. I've got a vague memory of those commercials, but not much. I think all the Charlie Brown specials used to be um, the advertiser was, I think, Mounds and Almond Joy. And you have no idea, okay. like, like, what a crazy, like, you know, even you were too young for that. But the idea that, like, once a year, you know, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown would come on, like, the day before that, uh, before Halloween. And I remember a little bit of that as a kid, but it was more for nostalgia. It wasn't, like, a huge viewing event then. Oh, my but... God. You, you, no matter where you were, like, the entire world just ran home to watch Charlie Brown. It was, you know, you it wow. was going to happen, and then it was going to be gone again. And you couldn't, you know, you couldn't find it or rewatch it. I remember when it came out on DVD or VHS, maybe VHS, it came out on VHS. And the idea that I could just watch the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown at my leisure was mind numbing. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I see it with kids now too, like in this world of Netflix and Hulu and Disney plus, like my children don't know what a commercial is on TV. Yeah. If they can't go from one Mickey Mouse clubhouse directly into the second one, they they think something's wrong in the world. <laughs> something's happened. Well, you know what the funny thing is that once I had access to it on VHS, I never watched it, and it stopped becoming appointment television at Halloween because the feeling was there that I could just watch it whenever I want, and so actually having more access to it stopped me from ever watching it again. Well, isn't that a strange phenomenon? It really is. I think I think that happens to I think the access. Like, do you ever do that? Do you ever decide you're gonna watch something and spend a half an hour scrolling and then never watch anything? Oh yeah, that happens quite a bit. Like, ah oh, man, I need to watch something here. Let's see what's on. And then you just you go into that. It's like getting on a deep Google on something where you're 12 Wikipedia pages in and then you find nothing by the end of it. You're like, well, okay, it's bedtime now. I tried. So my point is which is better? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, well, we're not going to fix that here at the end of the episode because you watched it; it was on. You knew it was there, and that was it. I'll tell you what; those commercials work. I've never had a Mounds or an Almond Joy in my life, but I could sing that damn song if I had to. So, yeah, those <laughs> those advertisers know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, they certainly do, Jeff. I can't thank you enough for opening this wound and and sharing it with everybody. Your email. Well, I, I hope really it's able to help some other parents out there, or even people that have it. That I mean. Life can throw a lot at you, but it's, I don't know. I see it. It's not an excuse to give up. Is that like, I, I never do this on this podcast ever, but if I said to you, like, leave people with a message is what is the message? Like, how did you get oh, through gosh. all this? I, I I just saw it as there was no other choice. I mean, I had to get through it. Yeah. All right. So Nothing we can pass on to people. I, I think, by the way, too, it's a fallacy, the idea that Jeff knows something that if you just knew your life or your kid's life would go better. I think that your reaction yeah. to all these things that happen is is classically who you are. And, you know, it worked out for you because that's your personality. And maybe that's a little dumb luck even, you know. I think there's a heavy amount of dumb luck in my life that I've kind of always tend to fall forward on things. I mean, Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but I've always found the best in a situation. Yeah. I might have to name this episode Falling Forward because there's, there's, I don't know what else I would call it to be perfectly honest. Um, 
I really appreciate you doing this. I genuinely do. Um, oh, nope. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, a little rough at times there, but I, again, I, I hope that I'm able to help even in teaching. I see it as like, I notice a kid with diabetes come into class. I instantly try to connect with them and say, Hey, what's your numbers out there? Yeah. Hey, so you used your full name when you introduced yourself. If, if not that I don't know how they would, but if one of your students ended up hearing this, you, you're fine with that, right? Yeah, that's fine. If they hear it, they hear it. Yeah. How much of, nothing, I don't think there's anything incriminating in it. I mean, we'll find out. Oh, I didn't mean that. I meant it's personal, but I meant um, like how much of yourself do you share with your students? Is that not how that works? Um. Well, when I was an English teacher, I taught some novels we would read in there and there was death or something like family tragedy. I would uh, connect with him there on that moment to get it across and open up to him a little bit. I see. I see. That's a, it's a, listen, I, I, I have to ask you before we go, I think, where do you stand on, I mean, we're recording this in August, 2020. Yeah. Where do you stand on going back and being in a classroom full of kids uh, as far oh, as COVID-19? Like wh- what's your thought? Well, I, in my school I teach at, I'm on the committees to figure out how to do that. And we've all come to the agreement that it's a lose-lose situation. Whatever choice a school makes, someone's going to end up losing on mm-hmm. it. There's no correct choice right now. Can so we, we please everyone. Can kids be taught effectively over video? Yeah. Uh, older kids, definitely. I, I have my concerns on how an elementary first, second, third grade will do it. And it's not so much the kids can't learn. My concern is I don't know how many teachers have the skill set to make a successful video, to interact with them that way and have that technology knowledge behind them to manage all of it. Is um is Are you finding that some teachers just don't have the desire to be like put on video? Like does is do they find it embarrassing? There are definitely some that like I'm not recording myself. They're not comfortable doing that. I mean, I teach a now I teach like a STEM and technology class, and I have no issues making videos and YouTube's, and I do some video editing in the background and making things. So I don't have a problem with it. But I know there are some that either don't have the skill set or just not comfortable putting their face on YouTube for a lesson. Because at some point those kids are going to edit that video down and make them look ridiculous. And I hope it's hilarious what they do to me. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> That's the right attitude. I'll tell you, I was talking to somebody the other day about the internet and I said, the funny thing about the internet is, is if you don't pay attention to it, it doesn't exist. It just, yeah. it's not really That's there. That's a great way to look at <laughs> it. It just, it, you don't know. There could be, you know, right now, countless people in the world who just hate my guts and if they never tell me and I don't go looking for it, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's you, you me, don't see it or hear it. It's not real. I, I don't know another way to say it. if it's not impacting me, it doesn't exist. And so, you know, I, I don't that concern about what other people think. You mentioned it in the beginning. Like, I don't care what people think. I, I, I have that very same feeling. I'm very um, structured in the idea that if I say something here that's valuable to some people and some people hate me. Um, I'm just happy that it's valuable to somebody and yeah, because if they don't like it or hate it, then they're not going to use it anyways. So fine, just, let's move on. Just sort of meaningless. I can't help everybody. Um, anyway, I, now I want to see the videos that the kids make at YouTube. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you search my name on YouTube, my, my channel's there. You can see some of the ridiculous stuff I put out last spring for them. It's there. No kidding. All right. Well, g- good luck with all this, man. I really, I, I hope it works out. Um, you know, as best as it possibly can and that, you know, everything gets back to normal, hopefully 
you know, as soon as possible. Gosh, I hope at some point we're able to function in a society that resembled something of 2019. Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I mean, I think obviously a vaccine is going to be the thing that makes people more comfortable because I you saw those mm-hmm. pictures from Georgia the other day. They went back to school. Oh, and, yeah. that Oh, that yeah. terrifies me. I mean, yeah. my school, we've elected we're starting remote. There will be no in-person instruction at this time. My daughter chose to stay home, even though she could have chose to go on it. There's part of me that thinks that they're all going to go back. One kid's going to get sick. A teacher's going to get sick. A, a custodian's going to get sick. They're going to panic and send everybody home anyway. And Yeah, that that's exactly what would have happened. And that's why our district just said it, it's not worth it. I, I mean, I, yeah. from what we were planning, you'd have been sending your daughter into a minimum security prison. <laughs> My son's college basically came out and said that once we saw all the precautions we had to put into place, it would have been financially a burden for us and just ridiculous. They were talking about tenting urinals in public restrooms, like putting tents around. Yeah, I mean, there was that. We had rotating bathroom schedules and when you were allowed to go and when you weren't. Yeah, it just... they all pre-diabetic kids who have to pee every 20 minutes would have been up Poops Creek. They wouldn't (laughs) have had a chance. (laughs) Little Jeff, what would he have done? I don't know. It'd have been rough. <laughs> My God, Jeff. This was really terrific. Thank you. I'm going to let you go, but I, I really appreciate it. All right. No problem. You have a good rest of your day. Take care of you as well. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G V O K E G L U C A G O N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter and remind you to go to contournext.com forward slash juice box. And of course, Touched by Type 1 is at touchedbytype1.org on Facebook and Instagram. February 2021 is shaping up to be the most successful month of this podcast. And I can't thank you enough for sharing the show with others, whether that be a link or by word of mouth, the show is growing because you are sharing it. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app if you haven't, and please accept my heartfelt thanks for being a listener. I'm going to be back soon with another episode that you're going to love.